turn to John chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you or Bible app, John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, a rich, a rich feast is before us, friends, and Nick is going to read our passage for us, so welcome, Nick, why don't you come and do so? Let us uh, hear the words of our Lord Jesus, uh, John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you." Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. It appears at this point that Jesus with his 11 disciples have exited the upper room where they had their poignant last supper. Eleven disciples, because Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus. Maybe it's as they pass some grapevines, or maybe they catch a glimpse of the temple wall and the massive relief of a grapevine on the side. We're not sure, 
But at that point, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he commands them, his disciples, repeatedly to abide, to abide in him. And this this is a hospitality idea, a hospitality term. You might say to, to a friend, come abide in my home, come stay in my home. That's the idea. But Jesus says to us, abide in me, remain in me, stay in him, the true vine. That's the call to us today. Abide in him as a single adult for the entirety of your life, including that area that is so difficult for you right now. Abide in him as a married couple for your marriage, including those patterns of behavior that are harming your marriage. Abide in him as a, as a parent for all those ways you feel weak as a parent or weary or tempted or discouraged. Abide in him as a teenager or a youth or a child. Kids, for the entirety of your life, kids, you are to abide, to remain, to stay in Christ. Your life is to be lived relating to God, relating to others this way. But what does it mean? What does this entail? What does this abiding in him, remaining him, look like? Well, we find here in this passage three, let's call them key ingredients, or three necessary qualities. Three necessary qualities for abiding in Christ. Here's the first. Abiding in Christ is fruit-bearing. It is fruit-bearing. This is the last of Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, and it's a massively important one because the metaphor of a vine is how God often referred to his people Israel in the Old Testament. However, ancient Israel was often referred to as a failed vine, a vine that didn't bear the kind of fruit that God desired or intended, like in Isaiah chapter 5, where the prophet says, quote, my beloved had a vineyard, on a very fertile hill, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, not the fruit God was looking for, not the fruit God intended. And yet Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. And the I am is, is emphatic. It's as if I am and no one else is the true, genuine vine, the true, genuine Israel. The one who succeeds where Israel failed. The one who fulfills to that, that which Israel pointed. The, the true, genuine hub or center of the people of God. And then to push the metaphor further, he goes on in verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser. The word means farmer, but in this context, it's one who tends vines. My father is the vine dresser. And notice what the vine dresser does in verse 2. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. So pause there and recognize the absolute necessity of fruit bearing. The father sees a branch that is not bearing fruit. He takes it away. Later we see these branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. It's a glimpse, friends. It's a glimpse of standing before God on the last day, giving account of your life to God, and Him finding no fruit of you being connected to His Son. You may have had a, a successful career, made good money, raised nice moral kids, lived as an upstanding citizen, but the vine dresser finds no spiritual fruit in your life. The vine dresser finds nothing showing the supernatural power of the risen Christ in your life, and the vine dresser takes you away. It's a judgment. So we, we should just first pause and ask, Will the father, the vine dresser, find spiritual fruit in my life? Does he see that in me, in you, right now? Not did you attend a church, as vital as that is. Not did you give money away or serve other people as important as those things are. But is there, is there clear fruit of being born again? Clear fruit of, uh, spiritual fruit of being joined to the risen Savior? If not, cry out to Him right now. Cry out to Him as you hear my voice. Turn to Christ and surrender to Him and trust in, rely on his life, death, and resurrection alone to bring you to God, and He will. He will make you a fruit-bearing branch. But if the Father does find such fruit, notice what happens as verse 2 continues. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. He prunes that it may bear more so the vine dresser does what, what may not seem initially attractive to us. He prunes. Now, I want you to just catch something here, first of all. He is pruning those who are Christ's, okay? He is pruning those that are already bearing fruit. You, you see this in the, the word play. There's a play on words between verses 2 and and three, this word translated prunes in verse two, it, it's often translated cleans. That's what it means. It's the verbal form of the adjective in verse three, where Jesus says, already you are clean. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So the father cleans in verse two, and they're already clean in verse 3. Are you tracking with me? He prunes, he cleans, verse 2. They're clean in verse 3. In other words, the fruit bearing is not how you join yourself to the vine. The fruit bearing is how you show that you've been joined to the vine. That's an important distinction to make here. 
It's kind of like this. With interest rates being so low, Sung and I refinanced our house recently, and the notary public kindly came to our home to have us sign the legal documents, and she requested our driver's licenses, and she examined our driver's licenses, looked at the picture, had us give a thumbprint in her ledger. She did not, she did not make us who we are. She confirmed. She verified who we are. That, that's what the fruit bearing does here. It is confirming, it is verifying that you have been joined to Christ, and so the Father prunes you. He cleans, you might say, further those who are clean in Christ. He cuts a little here. He cuts a little there. He trims off that bad habit. He cuts some of that unhelpful practice. He lops off that sin over there. He, he wields his pruning shears, not as punishment, but for a purpose in verse 2. Did you see the purpose in verse 2? That we may bear more fruit. More fruit. So the pruning has a purpose. The pain of pruning has a purpose. More fruit. I, I experienced this uh, reminder recently. We had a home group men's meeting, and the guys, they always kindly ask me how I'm doing. And to be honest, I, I was feeling a little bit down that week, and I just shared with them. I said, you know, I, my knees are hurting. I am injuring my knees, I think, and I'm just feeling a bit down, to be honest, about the aging process. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I'm realizing there is a pruning happening through the aging process, and I don't like it. And Doug Olofsson very kindly said, you know, Tab, one thing God accomplishes through the aging process is he makes us more aware of our own mortality. And i got to be honest with you, that ministered to me. That helped me. It helped me see that the pain of the pruning has a purpose. I'm going to live more for heaven as a result, I trust. And so Jesus commands, in light of this, in verse 4, Abide, remain in me, and I in you. The Father will prune you will bear more fruit, so abide in him. I want to just pause here and ask you, are you being pruned right now in some way? You being pruned? Some, some painful cutting happening in your life? Some unhelpful habits? Maybe God getting at something in your heart? Maybe a pattern of sin he's calling you to turn from? Or sometimes even, isn't it, it's, it's good desires that he prunes. A desire for a good thing that we want too much. 
a good desire ruling our hearts and controlling us. And, and he sometimes takes his clippers to that as well. I want to give you a little pastoral advice this morning. Focus, focus not on what the pruning shears are cutting, but on whose hands are holding the shears. Your Father, who is good and wise and purposeful and deliberate to carefully cut only what is necessary that you might bear more fruit. But how? That's the first necessary ingredient, fruit bearing, but, but how? Well, secondly, abiding in Christ is, is Christ-depending. Christ-depending. Now Jesus makes our place in the metaphor explicit in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, verse 5, and notice, you, my disciples then and disciples now, you are the branches. And now notice how he describes our relationship. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you see the, the mutual indwelling there? Whoever abides in me and I in him. It's you in Christ, Christ in you. We call this union with Christ theologically. It's the key to a fruitful life here. He it is that bears much fruit, he says. As a mere branch in verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. We can bear no spiritual fruit on our own. But as we abide in him and he in us, we bear much fruit. Why? Because the life-giving power of the vine is pulsating through your soul. It should be very encouraging for you. Our, our spiritual union with Jesus is kind of like the umbilical cord between an unborn child and his or her mother. You don't expect that child in utero to grow and develop on their own without the constant nourishment from the mother through the umbilical cord. But with that umbilical cord connection, incredible transformation happens for nine months. So it is with us. The umbilical cord of union with Christ, you and Christ, and Christ in you, connects you to his life-giving power such that incredible transformation happens. That's why John Calvin called union with Christ, quote, the secret energy of the Spirit. The secret energy of the Spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ and his benefits. So, does that mean the Christian is entirely passive? We do nothing at all, just kick back, relax, and bear fruit automatically? Well, not exactly. This is a call to, you might say, continuous dependence. Continuous dependence on Christ because you're joined to Christ. The sense is kind of like, kind of like, a light, an electric light that has to be plugged into the wall socket to turn on, to light up. The light on my desk has to be plugged into the wall socket. 
to light up. Otherwise, you're a dark bulb. That's kind of Jesus' point. So stay plugged into him, and you'll keep lighting up because of the electricity of the vine flowing through your life. So, so how do we intentionally plug in, you might say? Okay? The life-giving power is from him. But how do we respond to that here? He tells us in verse 7, If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words, my words, here's a new element, my words abide in you, my words remain in you, notice, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. You see the means of intentionally plugging into the power of the vine? His word and prayer. If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done. I'm not saying, don't misunderstand, I'm not saying, you know, the umbilical cord is cut if you didn't pray today. <laughs> the umbilical cord is cut if you don't open your Bible. He's calling us, though, to an intentional form of dependence. You might say it's communion with Christ because of our union with Christ. Intentionally abiding by his word and prayer. And, and what a startling invitation to prayer this is. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. If his words are abiding in you. So put that together. It's not name it, claim it. <laughs> it's not, I want a new house. Lord, give me a new car and you guarantee it. It's ask for whatever is God's revealed will in God's word so that verse 8 happens. Ask for whatever you wish as per God's revealed will, in God's word, so that verse 8 occurs, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, much fruit, and so prove, show that you are my disciple. Do you see this point here? It's God's word abiding in you, revealing God's word for you, and you ask for fruit in the form of his revealed will being done to prove that you're a disciple of Jesus to the Father's glory. That's the promise he's giving you. To bear much fruit. Much fruit, friends, not a little bit. Much fruit in your life. Think of it like this. I think we often... We look for help in the Christian life in one of two main ways. Either we look in a rather mystical direction, you know, a particular experience we must have. We must achieve somehow the higher life. You must have some particular experience of the Christian life is a constant search for that experience, or, or we focus on a certain technique or a certain practice. If you parent just this way, 
You know, follow that parenting book just like this. If you educate your child just this way, if you manage your time just this way, if you, if you use this particular communication technique with your spouse, it'll work. And the problem is not having a practice. The problem is we trust in the practice instead of trusting in Christ. Now, I'm all for genuine spiritual experience. I hope you are too. And particular practices, of course, have their place. But the means of fruit-bearing here is neither one. The true vine says, abide. With my word abiding in you, and you relying on me through prayer. So I want to ask you, to where do you look for spiritual help in your life? What, what, are, you, what are you relying on, trusting in, hoping in, to bear this kind of fruit? Here's... Here's one way, at least, that you can know that you're probably looking to something other than Jesus. You're weary. You're spiritually fatigued. And I, I know some of us are. I think my favorite Christmas hymn is, O Holy Night, one of the lines says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. But it's not just the weary world that needs Jesus, it's the weary Christian, the weary Christian who no longer experiences that thrill of hope in Christ, no longer rejoices in Him. They're just weary, they're just spiritually tired, they're spiritually fatigued, is that you? I, I follow a number of blogs to try to stay informed in various ways. But every time there's a blog title in which the title says something like, five ways to do X, seven ways to do Y, 10 to 12 keys for X, Y, Z, I delete the post. <laughs> I don't want it on my screen. Why? I just can't keep doing five, six, seven, ten things for this and that and this and that and this and that every day. It gets so weary for me. But I can do one thing. Abide. With his words abiding in me and me relying on him in prayer. Do you see the glory of this invitation? Brothers and sisters, friends, where, where do you feel like you're just stuck in the mud spiritually, spinning your wheels? Where do you feel like you're just kind of riding on a carousel around and around in some repeating cycle in your personal life, in your marriage? and your parenting, an endless cycle, 
Where do you feel weary and just worn out? Here's what the true vine calls you to. Abide. Remain in me. Stay. Stay in me. Keep my words abiding in you. And call upon me to do whatever you need in my revealed will to bear fruit. You might, it might be as simple as identify a single verse that will renew your mind for that area or give you hope for that area. And pray, Jesus, give me your life-giving, fruit-bearing power to bear this fruit in your word that I might prove myself to be your disciple to the Father's glory. Do you think God will answer that prayer? I think so. Why? Because the bullseye of his revealed will you're calling out for. I, I have, personal example, I have some verses I keep on my phone to review regularly to make sure my heart and affections are always growing and set upon my sweet, sweet bride. Like Ephesians chapter 5 reminding me to nourish and cherish her, to cherish her just as Christ does the church. Or Proverbs 31, that an excellent wife that she is, an excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. And this week I was, in light of John 15, reviewing those verses, and then I prayed, Lord, you say, ask whatever you wish. I ask for this fruit in your word. Grant that I would nourish and cherish, sung deeply as the excellent wife she is. Oh, friends, I could pray that with faith because Jesus says, ask me, I'll do it. And so you abide. It's fruit bearing by Christ depending. But what, you might say, Tab, that, that's often, often kind of a, a blanket, open-ended thing. What, what does Jesus prioritize in my life? Where would he want me to start? Well, that's the third key ingredient. Abiding in Christ is love demonstrating. It is love demonstrating. Now, friends, we jump into the deep end of the pool in verse 9. Would you please behold verse 9 and perhaps have it tattooed on your body later today? Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Stop and take this in. As God the Father has loved God the Son perfectly, invariably, I want to say passionately, from eternity past to eternity future, so the Son loves His people, so the Son loves you if you are His. That's a lot of love for you. A love that can't be improved upon. It has no deficiencies. It's not lacking in any respect. It is perfect, full, unwavering love for you. Christian, you have been brought into the eternal triune love between Father, Son, and Spirit. Let it boggle your mind. 
And then Jesus commands in verse 9, abide in my love. Remain in my love. Okay, I want to, Jesus. How do I do that? It's verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he's saying keeping his commandments is how we abide in his love. You might say, wait a minute, Tab. Verse 3 says, I'm clean in Christ. Wait a minute, Tab. I thought I was joined to Jesus through the gospel, the good news. Now you're saying my obedience keeps me in his love? Well, you have to realize there's a conditional aspect to this unconditional love. The conditional aspect is in the sense of enjoying his love, experiencing his love, living in the good of his love. When, when a parent says to their child, Johnny, do not play in the mud today. And Johnny goes out, plays in the mud, comes back in covered in mud. What's going to happen? Johnny's going to experience a form of loving consequence, probably. Now, has the parent withdrawn their committed love from their child? No. But has Johnny's experience of that love changed in some respect? Yes. That is the conditional aspect of his unconditional love, you might say. Keep yourself in the enjoyment of, the experience of his love by keeping his commandments. It's what the son does toward the father. And this is not drudgery, this call to obedience. We do so that his joy may be in us and our joy made full in verse 11. It's a joyful thing. And then, and then he tells us the expression of obedience he particularly has in mind in verse 12. Look at verse 12. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So if you want to know the, the fruit that Jesus prioritizes, the particular fruit the true vine wants to bear through you, here it is. Love. Love one another by this standard as he has loved you. That perfect, unwavering love he has for you. Reflect that to each other. It's a love that turns away from all bitterness because you forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven you, Ephesians 4. It's love that renounces all gossip and slander, speaks only words that build up, communicating grace to those who hear, communicating grace to all on social media because he has communicated his grace to you and build you up, built you up in love, Ephesians 4 as well. It's love that turns away from all selfish demands because it prioritizes others' interests above our own, just as Christ has done for us, Philippians chapter 2. So abiding in Jesus, abiding in Christ, is not just a Jesus and me thing. It's meant to be lived out in community, isn't it? 
It's about being connected to Christ and his people in the local church that you might show his love for each other because, friends, he has so shown his love for us. Verse 13, greater love, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And don't forget the context. Looks like they've just left the upper room. Looks like Jesus has begun to lead them over to a garden. Looks like he's begun to lead them to where he will be arrested, tried in a sham trial, crucified, enduring God's judgment, and then, and then, he will be raised. Greater love has no one than this. And so, we must love each other. The point is this. Pull it together. The point is this. Abide in Christ. Stay, remain in the true vine, bearing much fruit, by depending on him, by relying on him, and so demonstrating love. Let's pray, friends, and respond. We're going to sing a song in response in just a moment, but I want to ask you to pray for a moment as well.